This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity, Campaign Monitor, and Brapewave. What's great about the iPhone is that if you want to check snow conditions on the mountain, there's an app for that. If you want to check how many calories are in your lunch, there's an app for that. And if you want to check where exactly you parked the car, there's even an app for that. Yep, there's an app for just about anything, only on the iPhone. There's an app for that. That's the mantra that has followed the App Store for many years. It's something that's caught on because it feels so accurate. Since for every idea that we can think of, every problem that we need solved, it seems somebody has already made an app. You think of something you want? You open up the App Store, you search for some keywords, and you've got hundreds of examples looking back at you. But to get to this point, to be able to truly say there is an app for that, there has to be an idea for that. Over the next couple of episodes, we're going to take a look at some of the ideas that have become popular apps, putting a focus on how the developers have managed them through to the finished project. But before we go any further today, I want to highlight something from a couple of episodes ago. We spoke about Greg Gardner's app, Launcher, and the trouble he had getting the app to stay in the store. It was pulled away and he had it reinstated, pulled away, that kind of thing. Well, as of March 19th, 2015, Greg's app, Launcher, is back for sale in the App Store. It's been a long process for Greg, and he has been working for months to try and get this resolved. In talking to him about this recently, Greg had this to say. I hope this means that Apple is going to allow some more experimentation and innovation in iOS. If so, then perhaps they will become the more open company that we thought and hoped they were becoming with the new features added to iOS 8. Time will tell. This is a great end to Greg's story. I wish him the very best of luck, and hey, maybe you should go and check out his app. Additionally, from last week's episode, Matt Cheatham, the creator of Gift Finder, has had a call with Apple, and it looks like they're going to be able to get things back on track and have Gift Finder back in the App Store very soon. Anyway, it's time to get on with the show. Let's go behind the app. There was an initial gold rush on the App Store as people were creating fun ways to solve obvious problems. We saw apps like language translators or instant messengers. These were the things that made sense for the very first apps that we would see. They were filling empty categories and were therefore the easiest problems to solve. The easiest apps to make were the ones that mirrored the general experiences that we were used to on our other devices, on our PCs and on our Macs. But as we've come to understand the possibilities of mobile and touch computing, these ideas have become more complex and ambitious, as there are less obvious ways to solve the same problems. In 2015, the most ambitious apps are not the ones that are trying to duplicate the things that we can do elsewhere, but they are taking wholly new ideas and creating them with iOS in mind. Developers are crafting whole new experiences that simply couldn't exist on any other platform. As our devices are becoming more and more powerful, with more sensors and more capabilities, we're seeing whole new types of apps being created. A device that's personal and with you at all times opens up a whole world of opportunities for developers to take advantage of. Some of the most exciting ideas are the ones that take advantage of the power of a handheld touchscreen full of incredible technology. So apps that can take your movement, can help you exercise or allow you to send photos and videos to your friends from wherever you are around the globe. These are the experiences that are being enabled by these newer forms of computing that could only be imagined once you are using them. 
But on the other side of this, the constraints of these devices force developers to think differently in trying to match our experiences from our desktop machines. They have to take those existing ideas that I was mentioning earlier and instead of just porting them, to create and craft completely new ways of doing these similar ideas and these similar tasks. Today we have apps like Workflow that enable you to craft and chain actions together to do complex and powerful things with your iOS devices. It took us seven years before someone could truly rethink something like automation. This was possible on the Mac 15 years ago. Sometimes it takes more than just the idea. People have been thinking about automation on iOS for a long time. Sometimes it relies on the implementation of the idea to truly make it work. An app like Fantastical is another great example of this. It's a calendar app that can pass natural language to enter your appointments. Like you can type in lunch with Bob on Wednesday and it can pick out all of the necessary information to add this to your calendar. So it actually came from just having the engine to type something into. Um, my business partner, Kent Sutherland, uh, he and I have been friends for a long time. And uh, prior to starting up Flexibits, um, I had worked at other companies and Kent had been a friend of mine that I had kind of roped in to work with me. Um, he was still at university, so I'm a bit older than him, but he had created this natural language parsing engine. And he had always said to me, hey, you got any bright ideas? You know, because I'm the ideas guy. So he's like, you got any bright ideas? What should we do with it? And what had been burning me at the time was calendaring, you know, making events, adding events, managing events, doing things with my calendar and being a kind of ideas business guy, mover and shaker. I have a very packed calendar. I have a lot of events. And the more I had to add events, the more frustrated I was having to, if you remember back in the days of iCal, double click, click here, tab there, type, 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 tip, tip, tap, you know, change this, change that, blah, blah, blah. Finally, you're done. Then you switch back to the app you were using. And that whole process of clicking and tapping and waiting and switching was just completely frustrating. And I said, hey, let's take your engine and create events with it in natural language. Let's just say, you know, event 3 p.m. tomorrow with Mike. And that's it. You type it, you hit return. It's a menu bar app, and you're, it's in and out of your way. It's quick and it's easy. And that was it. I mean, the idea came to me because we had this engine that we needed to do something with or wanted to have it potentially solve a problem. And I had a pretty big problem at that time, which was calendaring. Coming up, I want to look into a little bit more detail into the ideas behind some apps. But before we do that, our friends at Cards Against Humanity have been speaking to another fantastic independent game developer about their time on iOS. The Shakedown is a game uh, of points, so it's just a leaderboard of you and your friends uh, ordered by the number of points they have, and you shake your phone to steal points from your friends, and that's all it is. Shaking your phone became like, a, oh, that, that would be something absurd to see somebody doing in a, in a coffee shop. And uh, that just kind of opened up an idea for an app. So the thing that we found really interesting with Shakedown is there's this whole meta game that happens in the real world. So you think about like Twitter or whatever, it all happens on your phone. But like when I see you across the office shaking your phone, I know that you're playing Shakedown and I'm like, oh, who's she stealing from? And I get to look at that. And let's say you're stealing from me. Well, then I get a push notification and I get visibly upset because you stole 2000 points from me. So then I start shaking my phone and then the person next to me and it kind of plays out this whole real world. But then you see people posting screenshots of the points they lost to Twitter and it kind of blows up. Um, 
And that's what was really fun about it, was seeing everything happen around it. And the app was just a dumb way for all that stuff to play out. My name is Daniel Zarek. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Zarek or go to my design studio 3c7.co and uh, you can download an app I just worked on called OneShot in the App Store or you can try to get a bunch of friends to play the shakedown. Just don't break your phone. be a pretty safe bet to make that at some point you have had an idea for an app that one that was going to make you millions i know i've had those thoughts but i've never pursued them there are tons of reasons why i've not done this why i've not decided to take these ideas any further but what is it that makes some people different to make some people the ones that do is there something innate in people that makes them go ahead and actually make that app Many people learn how to develop apps and toil over Xcode, Apple's development software, until they have something that works. But what is it that motivates them to take those next steps? Whatever that thing is, it's resulted in an app store with over 1.2 million apps available. 1.2 million ideas thought up, developed, and shipped by a portion of the 9 million people that are registered to be Apple developers. In 2014, Apple saw a 47% jump in the amount of people registered to be developers of the App Store, bringing the total to 9 million. That is a huge increase. When you look at numbers like this, it makes you wonder why people are signing up. Do they have a burning desire to create something that nobody's ever seen before? Or are they just trying to make a quick buck? Or do they think that they can iterate on something and make it better, better than something that we already have? Whatever it is, this incredible increase in registered Apple developers year over year truly demonstrates a very, very vibrant and growing community. Inspiration is one of those things that can hit you at any time. The cliche is these moments happen when you're in the shower. Eureka moments generally happen in places that are inopportune for starting new tasks. Pretty much all my ideas come to me in the shower. I guess the thing is you can't take electronics in there with you, thank goodness. Like I don't play music or anything like that. It's just me and the noise of water and I I know this sounds a bit sort of weird but it just things just come to you. You know, you start thinking about things and that's where the majority of our ideas come from. Sorry, my ideas. But if you're talking about, I guess, on a more, you know, collaborative level, I work in a company of, you know, four people. So all the other ideas come when we're all in the same room and we're just... You know, we're talking about stuff, we've got a whiteboard, we're we're drawing stuff up, you know, we're criticizing, we're adding ideas. That's I guess that's how they get, you know, from a wacky idea into some kind of concept that, you know, we can actually work with. Russell Ivanovich does indeed have his best ideas in a water based environment. Whilst I personally used to get a lot of great ideas while swimming, most likely because this is when I had a lot of time to think, I was just in my own head with little distraction. To combat this, to stop these ideas disappearing by the time that I got changed and dressed and dry again, I bought a waterproof notepad and pencil that I kept in my bag by the side of the pool. So if the moment struck, I could jump out and record it. it it's varied. Uh, some of my applications have come from more of sort of the bolt of lightning experience. That's David Smith, a man who has more ideas and apps in the store than anybody I've ever met. Usually it's I have an experience in my own life that I, you know, I'm trying to do something. I 
find something on the internet, something happens in my life and I see something and I'm like, you know what? That would make a great app. And, um, usually my first, my first instinct is to just open up the app store and see if something like that exists. And more and more today it does. Um, but surely earlier on it didn't. And so I would then immediately go and try and think about if, could I actually turn that into a business? How, you know, how could I make money doing that? And that works well for kind of that, those bolt of lightning ideas where it's just, I have an experience. I think I could solve that with an app and I dive in and do that. Um, some of, some of my other ideas will just come from more, they're more sort of slow building, the little annoyances or, uh, or even just people around me who kind of start to mention something or wouldn't it be nice if uh, things and they'll kind of build up over time. And for me personally, I tend to have, I have a very low threshold for, is this like, is it a good idea? Yes. Okay. Then I'll build it. And that's part of partly why I have so many apps in the app store. Um, but as soon as I, if, if I think an idea has any legs, I'll tend to try and see how quickly I could build it and then put it into the market and see if it actually is a good idea rather than worrying too much upfront about the quality of the idea. I figure if it's a good, you know, if the, the market will tell me yes or no, if it has some legs, most of my most successful applications have come from that kind of experience of just one day I'm like, I'm running into something and I'm like, oh, I could make an app that did that. And going from there, I'm building that out. And then it turns out, yeah, that was a good idea. That, that, that did actually work. I don't I mean, I don't have a lot of ideas. I have very few ideas. And, and even among the ones I do have, most of them are terrible. And so most of them never go anywhere. <laughs> um, most of them I'm able to recognize immediately, oh, that's, that's, that's not going to work. Or I, don't re- I can't really make that. Like, or, or, or I won't finish that. <laughs> or I won't want to finish that once I, once I do it. That's Marco Ahmet, a guy who, when he does progress an idea, has been well proven to make a success of it. Things like I have, I have a handful of ideas for like stupid little games I could make, but I'm not a gamer at all. Like I would, I want to be a gamer. I, I was a gamer. I keep thinking I will return to gaming, and it keeps not happening. So I know, like, if I have an idea for games, that's just a bad idea. Like I, I'm never gonna do it. And if I do it, it's pro- like, I've never made a game. So if I, ma- if I tried making a game, I mean, I guess I'd never made a podcast app before either, but you know, games are pretty different from everything else. So, like, I probably can't make a good game. In reality, like, it's harder than it looks, and I probably couldn't do it. <laughs> so most of my ideas I abandon because I realize, like, oh, that's never going to happen. Or, like, you know, I'll keep it in the back of my head. Oh, someday, maybe I'll do this, and then that'll never happen. So most of my ideas just come from what I use on my phone and what what drives me crazy about either the current situation or things I can't do. So Instapaper really just, again, it came out of that original need for something to shift these links from here to here. Uh, Well, the the magazine, I don't know why the magazine. (laughs) In in general terms, I I, I don't know why I did it. I think, I I thought it would be a very easy side project because I didn't, like, I was still running Instapaper with the magazine. I, I was doing them both at the same time. Uh, I really didn't think it was going to be a whole lot of work. I figured I, I would, you know, get articles from all these writers I knew, all these like tech bloggers and stuff. Like they'd all write articles. It would be easy to put it together each week or every two weeks, and it wouldn't be that much work, and it'd be fine. Of course, that was very different from reality. It was way harder than I than I thought. I had to immediately hire an editor after I launched because I couldn't keep up with all the submissions and and 
you know, the, the publishing schedule, like every two weeks, like you have to put something out. That's it. Like every two weeks, you can't, you can't take off an interval. You can't skip one. You have to put one out every two weeks because that's what everyone's paying for. And you can't really change that. You can't like, you can't tell iTunes like, oh, you know what? I'm going to skip this issue. So don't charge these people for this one issue like that. There's no mechanism for that. You have to publish something every, every interval that you say you're going to publish. So it's really, uh, it can become quite difficult and, and quite just over overwhelming. So anyway, the magazine overall, I think, was a terrible idea for me because it's like the way I talk myself out of games saying, you know what, I'm probably not going to finish this. And even if I do finish it, it's going to be something I don't really want to be in. The magazine was that. And I should have talked myself out of that for the same reason, but I didn't. <laughs> so Overcast was was better. Overcast was like, I'd been using podcast apps for a while. They drove me crazy with because they didn't work the way I wanted them to because it wasn't my app. The fact is, I don't use very many apps on my, on my phone. I, I have very few third-party apps installed. Um, and the podcast app is one that I use the most, uh, you know, besides like Twitter. So I... And I'm not going to make a Twitter client because that's crazy these days. <laughs> so uh, I made a podcast app because I had some ideas on ways I could do it better or, or at least better for me. And it was something I used a lot. And if Overcast disappears tomorrow and, and if, if, the, if the market for, for me developing a podcast app evaporates and, and, I, and I have to do something else, uh, I don't really know what that would be yet. I don't have any next ideas to go to that are really very good. I have a bunch of crappy ideas. But I don't have, like, one big standout that's like, oh, I really want to do that. Like anything creative, it takes time, effort, invention, emotion, and imagination to build an app for iOS. It all starts with that one thought, that one spark of an idea that must be carefully considered and crafted into the final realization of the original idea. Many people that I've spoken to have long lists of ideas of apps that they would like to make one day. What is it that makes someone select a specific idea as the one to work on, the one that jumps right to the very top of that list? Matt Bischoff from Tumblr and Lickability is one of those people with a huge idea list. There's a text file on my computer that's just called App Ideas that's probably 100, 100 lines long right now uh, that just has tons of ideas that I've, that, I've, that I've ever thought of, and they just stay in the list. And a lot of times... I lose interest in them, and that's fine. They stay on the list just just as because so I know that I thought of it before. Sometimes someone else does it. Someone else does it exactly the way I would have done it, or better. And same thing. I'm just like, okay, well that that one's taken care of. And sometimes they just sit there for a while. And what? And if they're sitting there for a while and no one's doing it, and I'm still passionate about it, those are the ones that I really look into prototyping and talking to Brian and Andrew, the other two members of Lickability, about because there, there's something there usually. In a moment, we're going to take a look at what the next steps are after people have decided that they want to pursue a specific idea for an app for iOS. But before we do that, let me take a few moments to thank one of our sponsors for this week's episode, and that is Campaign Monitor. Campaign Monitor deliver an elegant email marketing service for designers, agencies, and businesses. More than 2 million people, over 120,000 companies around the world, love Campaign Monitor for its simple and beautiful user experience, pixel-perfect design, and 24-7 global support. Campaign Monitor's customers love their email building tool. 
It's called Canvas, and it helps you create elegant, responsive templates that look incredible on all screen sizes. And you can even target your content according to your customers' preferences. Then, once you've sent out your campaigns, you can see how they perform in real time with Worldview. There's just something super cool about seeing your subscribers pop up on this, this amazing world map as they're interacting with your emails. Campaign Monitor works great with teams. It's super easy to collaborate with clients or the people that you work with. You can really easily set permissions, rebrand the interface, and even manage billing for client projects all from within the app. If you want to find out more about Campaign Monitor, go check them out and sign up for a free account right now at campaignmonitor.com. Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails to get better results. Inspiration is just the first step. Ideas are many and fleeting. It's the steps that you take after that which will make or break something. Something that surprised me when talking to people about this is the varying forms that these next steps took and the paths that people took to go through them. Personally, I think on things a little and I clarify them with the people that I trust. I bounce ideas off some really smart people that mean a lot to me and they tell me if I'm crazy or not. I just assume that everybody else did this, they were exactly the same as me. Because to me, it seems like the most logical route, but I found that not to be the case. Unsurprisingly, people work in different ways and everybody's routes to them is the most logical. There are no tried and true, universal, one-size-fits-all methods. What I have seen is that for each person or team, it's about finding your own groove, finding what steps and processes work for you. But this tends to be something that takes shape over time, after a lot of trial and error. I have found that the most effective people have their own systems that they stick to. Like Oshin and Padraig of Supertop, they're a two-person team who live on completely opposite sides of the world. I guess the first thing we would do uh, when one of us has an idea is start talking about it in Slack. and Often we just make a new channel and put everything about it in there. For me, I find that like having Padraig there to bounce ideas off, I mean, it, it makes a, a ton of difference to getting me out of being insular. Um, whereas I before would have had a tendency to like have an idea and then completely latch onto it. Um, have a project to bounce it off and discuss it. I mean, it can be the hardest thing in the world when you, you think you found like the proper place for this subscribe button, for example, and then Podrick starts telling you the reasons why that's not going to work or Vice versa, I guess I do the same, but mm-hmm. um, and that like it hurts for like <laughs> a few minutes, and it's like, oh, why can't he just agree with me? And then we'd already have this solved, and we could just like move on, and like the the app would be getting done so much quicker. Until you ultimately finally do have the idea, or Podrick has the idea, and you both realize this time, oh, you know, that is actually right, and that is better, and you've been through so many other iterations of it and each time one of them gets shot down it hurts but it it's it's completely worth it when when you get to the right place in the end Russell Ivanovich is part of Shifty Jelly and they're a team of about four or five that are all together in one office in Australia for example when we get together and we just you know talk about things it, it can be very easy for someone to go oh that's not a good idea because of this reason or not a good idea you know, for that reason. So I guess it's it's not really a disadvantage, but the difference is, you know, when you have an idea on your own and you're convinced, you know, that's a good idea, you can take it all the way to, you know, fruition and then you get to find out at the end, was it actually a good idea or not? But, 
you know, I work with four other people and we, we kind of just swivel our chairs around and every now and again we'll have a, a discussion in front of the whiteboard. And you find what happens really quickly is you sort, you know, the good ideas from the bad ideas. And you can also take an idea that, you know, sounds bad and wacky and just, you know, people will start bouncing things off each other and, and suddenly you have a brand new idea. It's, it's, it's really something. And you get different perspectives as well. You know, I work with, you know, Philip. He was, he was born in the, the UK. I was, you know, I, I come from Europe. I've kind of grown up in Australia. We work with uh, another designer, Chris. He's, I believe he was born in Australia and Monica who has um, a Polish heritage. So you've got, you know, all these different cultures, all these different upbringings and you bring all those things together. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I know it sounds corny, but the, the sum of the parts is, is greater than whole. You know, I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather work in that environment. I'm not the kind of person who can, you know, sit in a room, ponder really deep ideas and, and kind of form those to to completion. I find I really need someone else to to validate things off. You know, and generally it starts with Philip and myself. We'll, you know, we'll be up at late at night and on chat or something and one of us will have an idea and, you know, they'll send it to the other person and straight away you'll get something back. You know, have you thought about this or, you know, that idea is terrible or that's the best idea I've heard. And then we'll tend to, you know, bring it to the rest of the team and say, you know, hey, what do you guys think of it? I guess th- there is a final say. So I guess that rests with myself and Philip because we're the, the owners of the company. But it, it's very rare that either of us has to say, you know, thanks. We, we appreciate that you feel like that. But, you know, we run this place and you don't. So it's time to be quiet. It's, it's, you end up getting to there, you know, without anyone having to say anything really. Like you hash out an idea enough, you know, with four people in a room and, you get to a point fairly quickly where you realize, you know, is this something we can do? Is this something we should do? You know, is this something we should shelve for, for later? At that stage, we, we still tend to keep it internal. So what we'll then do is we'll go to a whiteboard. We'll say, you know, okay, assuming we produce this idea and, it, you know, assuming it's going to take this long, what kind of things can we do? What kind of functionality should it have? What kind of, you know, users do we expect to, to be using it? And we'll just start drawing things. You know, one of us will grab a whiteboard marker and we'll draw stuff, we'll rub it off, we'll draw some more stuff. There's no there's no concept of, you know, a final looking design or where the buttons go or anything like that. It's just pure, you know, what what are the functions this thing should have and what what kind of users should it serve? And that's that's kind of where we start. So that's that's step one for us, I guess. Uh I just kind of open Xcode and start coding, which perhaps is not great, but I I have a very lightweight process i guess you could say where i'm i'm just kind of impatient and i don't like whenever i've been involved in projects that have a lot of kind of i guess you could call it design up front where you're spending tons of time uh building building mock-ups and sitting in whiteboard sessions and thinking about it and talking to people and doing research um i find personally find that kind of tiresome and what I want to do is I want to build it. If I think it's a good idea and the idea has got me excited, I just want to start building. And so I'll just sit down at my computer, open a new project in Xcode and start coding. And as quickly as I can try and build the kernel of the idea. Because most most apps are at their core very simple. There's typically a thing that the app is trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it, it's, it has a core experience that you're trying to present to your user. And this, this, the quicker that I can get to a point that that core part is working, the sooner I'll know if it's a good idea or not. And once I have that, 
And then at that point is when I'll start to show it to friends and family, when I'll start to talk to other developers and say, here's, here's this core, right? This core functionality, this core mechanism, this thing that I just built, what do you think? And in my experience, it's much more productive to show people a working something than to sit them down with a piece of paper and a pencil and sort of wave hands around what it would do, what it could do, how they want to go. Um, it's people react much more productively to something that says, here's this thing that does this. What do you think? And they'll tell you what's right, what's right and wrong about it. And you can build the, the rest of the application around that based on their feedback. Um, but I always start from, if I have an idea, if I think it's good, I'll just build it and go from there. The first thing I do is I go to the app store and I download every single app that directly or indirectly competes with this. I put them all in a folder with, the, with my placeholder name for the app. So I just did this over the holiday. Holiday is a great time for me to just, you know, get away from work and think about things. So I had, of course, I had an app idea. Um, I downloaded all the competitors, put them all in a folder, and then I use them and take some notes on what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, what I would do differently, and the features that keep showing up that, that I think this app would kind of net need to have to be, to be good, uh, to, to, to be able to compete. And then um, once I do that, I may either just start prototyping on my own if I have some time, or I might talk to, talk to the team and say, what do you guys think? And half the time they'll probably say, that's dumb, we should never do that. But half the time, <laughs> half the time they'll say, okay, yeah, I could see that. We should, we should spend a little bit of time on that and, and play with that idea. Much like any startup or business, once you have the idea that has become sticky enough in your brain that you want to move forward and you've validated it through the means that make the most sense to you, the next step is to just go and make something. I just start doing it. You trust your own instincts. Yeah, usually I do. I mean, you, my instincts have served me okay. Like, again, like there, there's been some, some flaws here and there, like the magazine. I, I probably shouldn't have done that, you know, because it, it wasn't... It wasn't the kind of thing that I that I was really cut out to do, um, and all these all these ideas I have for games, like I talk myself out of them because again, it's like I don't think I should do that. Uh, but overall, like if I have a really good idea, usually I just go with it, and because you know I, I'm I I think I know most of the time if something's going to work out or not. Like I've, I've developed the skill over time that now I I can be somewhat confident. I, I can be confident enough if something's going to going to have a chance of succeeding that I can decide myself whether to do it or not. Coming up after this quick break, we're going to take a look at how the fear of competition can affect decision-making. But before we do that, I want to thank BraveWave for sponsoring this week's episode of Inquisitive. Simply because you're listening to this show, you know BraveWave. BraveWave is an independent music label that produces and composes for video games and other mediums. Some of their previous projects have included games like Shovel Knight, Adventure Time, The Secret of the Nameless Kingdom, and other projects like this very podcast series behind the app. They have helped provide all of the music that we have for this show. Brave Wave is headed by the composers of Mega Man, Ninja Gaiden, Metal Gear Solid, and a few more. These guys have such an incredible background. Brave Wave also produces and publishes music albums, and recently they released the first ever solo album of the Ninja Gaiden composer Keiji Yamagishi, with his comeback after a decade of abandoning games and game-like music. This album is called Retroactive Part 1, and it is stunning. I have been listening to it constantly whilst writing the scripts for these very shows, and it really keeps me going. I love it. 
For listeners of Inquisitive, Brave Wave are giving a special 10% discount on their catalogue of award-winning albums. Go to store.bravewave.net and use the code YAYRELAY, that's Y-A-Y-R-E-L-A-Y, for 10% off when you check out and indulge yourself in this world of incredible music. In September 2013, Marco Arment took to the stage at the XOXO Festival in Portland, Oregon. During his talk, Marco spoke about how he had previously feared competition whilst developing, a fear of not being the first person to have an idea to create an app or a specific feature for it. He spoke about how this fear of not being first or being outdone had crippled him with decision making. So, Instapaper was a little bit stressful. I have all these fears about what might happen to it. And one of my biggest fears was competition. Every day, this is, this is totally true, it's kind of embarrassing, I bet I'm not the only one though. Every day I would wake up and before my eyes were even fully focused and adjusted, I would take my phone off the nightstand and open up my email and my feed reader to see if something had come out the night before or overnight that just blew me away, just crushed my business. Some new competitor would come out, maybe a big company would enter the space and just do something I could never match. Uh, every morning I would wake up and, and check for that, which has got to be unhealthy. On the face of it, this fear does make sense. You've been working away for months and months on a project that you hope will be a success, but you know there's a good chance that there's going to be competition. Maybe you've even heard about something that's coming, something that could beat you to market, be better than you, or even worse, be a poorer product, but be the one that actually catches on. I spoke with John Voorhees about this one day before his app Blink went on sale. You're going to hear more from John in later episodes as we take a look at exactly what it's like to launch a brand new app into the world. John had heard that he may have an upcoming competitor whilst he was developing his own app. Before you hear how he worked with this, let John also explain a little bit about what Blink does. Blink is an affiliate linking app for iOS, both on the iPad and the iPhone. Apple's affiliate linking program lets you generate links to various types of media that Apple sells on its stores and add a code to the end, which when clicked by someone gives you, gets you 7% of the revenues generated by that click. So what Blink does is it, it facilitates making those links uh, on iOS, which is otherwise a hassle. So how did it feel when you found out that you might have some competition? It definitely spurred me on to work faster and harder on Blink. Uh, I didn't worry about it too much because by the time I heard about that, I had been working on Blink for quite some time and had gotten to the point where it was a pretty deep app that I thought, regardless of whether there was competition, would have a decent shot at doing well. Um, but what did make it a little bit disconcerting was the fact that the, um, the app that I had heard about already has a Mac component. Uh, and as a result, an established audience. And I was a little concerned, obviously, that you know, what, if that came out first, uh, the market for Blink would be absorbed by that app, and there wouldn't be anybody left to even who would even want to consider Blink. Um, but you know, there's not much you can do about that, and and so worrying about it doesn't make it any better. All you can do is plow ahead and and finish your app up as soon as you can. 
Some people see this as something that drives them, pushes them to work hard and work fast. Some people fear it, making them ultimately give in. Marco decided he was going to be more upfront with his projects, announcing Overcast that day on that talk, and no longer allow him to be controlled by fear of being first. So I've decided with my next app to be okay with the crowded category, but only because I can add something unique and useful to it. So I've decided to replace one of the only third-party apps that I use on my phone more than Instapaper. And which will surprise absolutely nobody, I will announce to you guys for the first time ever that, of course, it's a podcast app. As the App Store continues to grow, and as iOS devices continue to evolve and become more prevalent in our lives, we're going to see more and more interesting ideas. Like whenever Apple announces new products, they demonstrate the things that they and select third parties can do on stage. We see the amazing early ideas and can imagine just how they will develop over time to do things that we'd not dreamt of before. As our devices become more capable and become further extended, we will see fresh apps that can do things that we'd never considered. In terms of the iPhone, we're still very young into its development. The Mac has been around now for over 30 years, the iPhone 10 and the iPad just over 5. Beyond hardware innovation, the thing I'm most interested to see is how things continue to change as there are more and more developers coming to the platform. We now know a bit about how ideas are started, but how do they get out there, spread and become real? How do people create an identity for their apps? Next week. On Inquisitive. <laughs> we, we give it a code name very early on, um, but we don't tend to come up with final names until, you know, somewhere near the end. And some of my best names, are, in a funny way, have come from not worrying about that too much. Like my most successful app of all, like of all in the last six years of everything I've ever built, the name of the app is Audiobooks. That's why with Overcast, I ended up paying, I think it was $12,000 to license the trademark. I mean... Um, yeah, <laughs> because I couldn't, I, I went through a process of trying to come up with other names, and I just couldn't, like, every other name I came up with was terrible by comparison. Inquisitive is a production of Relay FM. You can find show notes and links for this episode at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 32. Inquisitive is produced by Stephen Hackett, Adina Namsu, and me. Marco Savage is our editorial advisor. Huge thanks to everyone who has provided their time and feedback to help this series get off the ground. The music you've heard in this episode was created and provided by Brave Wave Productions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, tell your friends, or rate us on iTunes. Support for today's show has come from Campaign Monitor, Brave Wave, and Cards Against Humanity. You can find out more about Inquisitive and all of our shows at Relay FM by visiting us online at relay.fm. I have been your host, Mike Hurley. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>